want to be able to tell people stories, right? Stories are really how we get information to stick and to resonate with people. And if you can't articulate a story that's relatable for your audience, that is providing that information, you really aren't going to land it very well. And, and that's where this access to different subjects and different areas, um, you know, in life, the world, the universe really become very critical. The C4L podcast is brought to you by Freshworks. Freshworks' vision is to enable companies and organizations of all sizes to nurture, acquire, and support customers for life. I'm Alan Bergson, and together we'll explore topics that give you the building blocks to better prepare your company to engage with your stakeholders. That is, your employees, your partners, your prospects, and yes, your customers. The C4L podcast, helping you build the trust necessary to earn customers for life. Welcome to the C4L podcast. I'm Alan Berkson, and my guest today is Nicole France. Nicole is a principal at... <sighs> I forgot to copy it in. I, I forgot to copy it in. Wait, I, I thought I had copied it. I'm looking, I'm like, wait, where's my thing? Where's my thing? Will I remember it? Nope, couldn't remember it. <sighs> VP and principal analyst. Yeah, you have to get matter. it right. <laughs> I know, I know, but you know, precision, accuracy, I don't know. Actually, this is the first time I've blown an intro. I'm impressed. Ever. Ah. <laughs> That's right. I'm my claim to fame, Alan. I like it. All right. All right. At Constellation. Is it just, con you say Constellation or Constellation Research? I, I, Constellation Research is probably more accurate. It's a little more specific. We're ready, we're happy Constellations out there. Okay. <clears throat> Here we go again. Welcome to the C4L podcast. I'm Alan Berkson, and my guest today is Nicole France. Nicole is VP and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Thanks, Alan. It's great to be here. When we were talking about... Now, Nicole is an analyst, and so I'm going to have to be careful about everything I say because she might pick it apart and, you know... I, I, now I have to be careful because uh, no, but we, we were actually, when we were talking about the podcast, we, one of the things that came up was uh, a, a, something that really uh, resonated with me was connecting the dots and that um, in a world of knowledge abundance, in a world where you can pretty much find stuff, it's not as much what you know anymore, perhaps, as how well you can find what you need and maybe make connections and that's important for customers, that's important for innovation, that's important for all sorts of things. Um, what does that, what, so let's start off, what, what does that mean for you? When you, st when you first said that, what, we, what were you thinking about when you said connecting the dots? Well, I was thinking about two things really. One is what I have a tendency to do by nature anyway. It's just the way that my mind works, I guess you could say, but also what I do professionally and what I have done professionally through a variety of different jobs, but where it's probably most obvious is in the analyst role. Because as analysts, it's very easy to feel like we're somehow intellectually superior. We know more than other people. It's really just a function of the, the role that we have. And the fact that oftentimes there's there's a certain reaction that comes from other people around that. But really, if you cut right down to it, I think the principal 
functions or roles of analysts are really to try to make sense of what's going on in the world, right? It's it's to be a clearinghouse for information on one hand. So we right. go seek it out. It comes our way. We're providing it to other people, hopefully in context. And that context is really about being able to synthesize what we have and put it into some sort of framework or model or context that makes it useful and preferably actionable for the people that we are trying to prepare it for, right? So it's not just information. It's about something more than that. And you can't really do that unless you can put it into some sort of framework. And that fundamentally requires making connections to other things. It's making connections between what might seem to be disparate bits of information, but it's also making, I think, higher order connections to try to process and make sense of it. And a lot of the time that comes down to analogies, for example. You can't make good analogies and you can't connect dots, right? If I you love don't analogies. know about other things that that might help to articulate a point or um, illustrate a relationship between things that might seem disparate. I mean, these these are really the the critical tools for analysts <clears throat> to make sense of what they're seeing and to try to provide some val- value back in the way that they synthesize the information. So it, it sounds like it's not just about going deep within a topic, but being able to go a little broad as well, or maybe even reach outside. I mean, making connections within a, a very specific topic doesn't make as much sense as, or particularly, I guess, maybe when you're thinking about innovation, as opposed to, and that's not easy. I mean, I, I know that you jokingly call yourself a dilettante. Yes. Um, a, a, you, that you that, that you there's a lot of things that and I think that's a a trend that maybe we we might see more of. I mean, you know, the the, the generalist has always been a, a negative, right? But maybe that's not so, not the case anymore. I think to some degree we all need to be generalists because it's actually a really critical feature of being able to communicate effectively, right? And it's um I I can say that I do certainly refer to myself as, as what I'd like to think of as a professional dilettante. Um, professional, but, I'm but sorry. But poly, polymath requires a, an awful lot of depth, right? It's that idea of like <laughs> the Renaissance man or the Renaissance person that really right. not only knows a breadth of subjects, but knows those subjects in some significant degree of depth as well. That's hard to do. I don't think you necessarily need to have tremendous depth in a bunch of subjects. I think you need to have an intellectual curiosity to want to find out about them. And I think you you definitely need something more than, than just a purely superficial view. You really have to spend some time, you know, to get to know these different areas in order to know enough about them to make some useful connections to other things. But personally, it's something I find interesting to do anyway. And it certainly pays tremendous dividends in the line of work that I'm in. But as I say, I think it's a really fundamental building block to be able to communicate effectively. You want to be able to tell people stories, right? Stories are really how we get information to stick and to resonate with people. And if you can't articulate a story that's relatable for your audience, that is providing that information, you really aren't going to land it very well. And, And that's where this access to different subjects and different areas um, you know, in life, the world, the universe really become very critical. So the, from a customer for life point of view, because that's that's sort of the, uh, the the context of the of the podcast, what you said resonates because you want to it's not just about I think a lot of times, particularly product people think about they get they get 
excited about features and gadgets and 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 as opposed to the context of where the the customer is coming from and that that may be a little bit of a different knowledge base meaning the 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 gap maybe in in many organizations between that developer or that that product designer and the customer may may be too big mm. Well, it's, it's, it's always about, it, it, it's, I think in this sense, the connection is, I know what I know. How can I relate that to what you know? And that requires me to understand something about your context and your knowledge. But also sometimes I can tell you about something that is not the subject area of expertise that either of us has, but might help to provide that link that helps you to understand what I'm trying to convey to you. Right. So, right. It, it's, no, that, that's... Go ahead. I was just going to say, this is one of those things that, frankly, makes it a lot more interesting. It's t- it's back to the storytelling, but it's telling stories that are actually really interesting in and of themselves that help to convey some some bigger message. Well, uh, another thing that relates to that for me is the the idea of innovation. The, the principle of design thinking is bringing a lot of different people from different uh, uh, expertise that may that may not seem related. And somehow you're you're getting a different perspective on the the final product. I've I've been involved in those types of workshop workshops. They're, they're pretty cool. Um, and this is basically doing that in one person. In a sense, yeah. And it's it's not necessarily to the same degree of detail or depth, but it almost doesn't matter because it's the starting point to get to those additional layers of detail and depth. So here's one example that I find personally just really really interesting. You know, we talk a lot particularly in technology, you know, in a, in a space that is awash in venture capital and investment funding, but also in the current context of pandemic, where we're suddenly seeing a lot of businesses have to face some real cuts. You know, there's this, this interesting dichotomy around having enough resources, but not too many resources, right? So, so resource constraints, I guess, present a really interesting question. So for me, my go-to thought model for that is a really interesting book on population genetics by a guy named Brian Sykes, right? So (laughs) his first book is called The Seven Daughters of Eve. And it is a really interesting read if you're at all interested in genetics, period. But to me, and what I wasn't expecting when I started to read it, is it's very much about the process of how they came to actually creating this whole area of research called population genetics. Because at the time when they started, DNA testing was extremely expensive and very time consuming. So imagine you're talking about doing DNA testing for one person, right? And this is just after the human genome had been mapped and all this kind of stuff. How on earth do you do that on a population, a whole population? And so the book is in large part about how he and his team approached the challenge and broke it down so that they could figure out how to get the maximum amount of information that they needed to really come to some assessments of population genetics from a relatively small number of actual DNA tests. And for me, what is so cool about that is that it actually is a great analogy to a lot of the problems that we have in IT, right? I mean, how do you, how do you, get to the most straightforward and elegantly simple solution. Well, if you have a lot of resource constraints, you have no choice but to come to that because you don't have, you know, you're not spoiled by a whole bunch of money that you can go and try a bunch of stuff that's much more complex and possibly convoluted. 
It's also a really interesting analogy when we start talking about things like large data sets, like customer data, for example. I mean, this is one of the really big conversations that I think we have continuously around the industry, which is what customer information do you really need? What is it really telling you? And there's a huge amount of conversation about how you put it all in one place, you know, how you collect more and more of it. But for me, I come back in my mind to the population genetics example uh, from Brian Sykes and think about, well, what is it that we really need to know? What are we trying to do? And therefore, what do we really need to know? And how can that help us to really zero in on what we actually need to collect, what we need to analyze, and how we need to analyze it in order to feed that into some reasonable sense of things that are actionable. Because if you are, if, if it's not going to change what you're doing, why bother collecting it? Why bother analyzing it? Right. No, one of, one of the things I've talked about on the podcast before is asking good questions. And the the promise of big data is, you know, well, you have all this information, but if, if you're not, but it, at the same time, you know, how do you, what, what, which part has value and how can you apply it? And uh, you have to take a step back and say, what, 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 what am I trying to accomplish? Like you just said, what's the problem or what, what are my constraints? And then how, how could I use the information I have to then address that problem? If you don't start out with a good question, how can you possibly answer it? You know, I mean, and the obvious example is 42, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course. What is the meaning of life? 42. Huh. Okay. Right. Maybe the question was wrong. <laughs> well, so let's talk about uh, within my organization, uh, do I want an entire company full of dot connectors? Is that an entire company full of analysts? Is there a mix? Is there some elements of my corporate culture, look, people talk about corporate, they want a culture of innovation. They want a culture of, uh, of, of customer focus. They want you know, all these things, these culture elements. Is there a culture element that I can relate to this? I think there is, although I will certainly come right out and say, no, you don't, you definitely don't want a whole company full of analysts. Uh, <laughs> nothing would ever get done. Um, but, but I do think the, the cultural element that's important is, thoughtfulness and reflection. Well, it's really two things. Uh, but but it's, I think there is a very important element that is reflecting on what you're doing and, and trying to put it into some kind of context. You don't want to do that to the exclusion of actually getting things done, right? There are certainly situations where you can think too much about stuff and that prevents any sort of action or forward momentum. And that's problematic. Companies can't work that way. But if you're never thinking about what you're doing, you're also going to miss some really big opportunities. And does you know? There, it's a good question. Does everybody have to have that skill? No, not necessarily. But I do think there, there's got to be at least an understanding and an appreciation of that. And I, there, that has to be something that is part of the broader mix in an organization's culture, even if it's not necessarily something that every individual really has uh, in spades. You know, one of the other aspects of connecting the dots or just having a broad range of knowledge that I think about is, is, is relationships. Um, my ability to, to create rapport, my ability yeah. to put myself in, in your shoes, my ability to uh, you know, find, a, find, find an analogy, right? And so if you think about it, again, from a customer life point of view, if I have a, a, a customer service rep who's got a broad range, not only a broad range of knowledge, but has a thinking process that says, let me think about how to make that connection, how to connect the dots 
not just because they called up saying, how do I reset my password, which you should be doing with self-service anyway, but that's a different story. <laughs> yes. But they call up with a problem, you know, a, a lot of the times, uh, and, and this is something that I, you know, look, I, I was in the IT business and managed service business for uh, over a decade. And uh, one of the things I found out is that the problem is never where you think it is, and it's never where they tell you it is. Yep. And so I, I think a big part of customer service is trying to understand and try to relate. And I think that being able to make connections and find those, like you said, find those analogies or, or putting yourself in their shoes. Um, I guess this is a skill, right? It's not a talent. It's a skill. This is something you could teach. I think, yes. I, I think there's certainly some people that ha are innately inclined toward it. Um, but I also think to some degree, it's a way of thinking that absolutely can be taught. You know, it's, it's how to build a framework around what you're doing and break it down into different pieces. Um, there are some elements of that that I think can't be taught. I don't know that you can teach intellectual curiosity, unfortunately, right? And I think, I think that is at root oftentimes a, a core characteristic of the people that are right. really good at this stuff. Having right. said that, though, not everybody has to be off the charts great at dot connecting. What you want is for people to have as part of their thought process that they're going to try to understand whether there's, there's some connection to be made here, whether it's to the customer on the other end of the phone or you know to some other part of a business operation somewhere else that's related to what they're doing. These are the kinds of connections that you want people to make in their everyday work lives. You know, it's um, calling up a colleague who's a friend in a different department and, and swapping notes about some problem because there might actually be a solution somewhere else that isn't obviously applicable, but turns out to be really, really helpful given the problem at hand, right? So that's the kind of dot connecting that I think is particularly useful in a normal sort of day-to-day -day operational sense. Right. There, there are companies like Amazon and Google that are famous for, or I, I think it's Google. Who, they, they have, they're the ones with the 20% time where they said you can, or whatever it was, where you could take a certain percentage of your time and just do it on whatever, follow your, 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 your um, uh, th maybe there's something to that in terms of what you want to do for your employees. If this is a, and I agree, it's a skill that, or, or it's a, it's a quality, it's a skill, it's a, <laughs> a character trait that's that that is important, uh, particularly moving forward. Uh, look, I talk about uh, AI all the time, and and uh, the the simple stuff is handled by computers, and and even the, the the somewhat complicated stuff. Basically, if it's if it's happened before, a computer can do it the next time. Right? Yeah. So the really what people are trying to, for people it's about critical thinking and and innovation. It's like, well, how do I solve a problem that's never been solved before? Because if I'm a customer service rep. That's the stuff that's going to come to me on the phone is something that couldn't be handled by automation. So from that perspective, um, what, you know, is this something that companies can do to foster that? Oh, um, yeah. And, and like I said, I'm putting you on, yeah, you know, what, what, what would you think from that perspective? Well, I, I think a lot of it comes back to this idea of um, having a real sense of what your purpose is as a business. And that purpose is not a revenue number, right? <laughs> so let me let me give you an example. Um, and I'm thinking particularly in terms of stories that I know from from customer service and support. So Chewy.com, right? Um, pet supplies, right? Online store, uh, e-commerce company. What's really interesting about them is that 
they are all about the pets and their customer service organization is very much inclined and very much uh, encouraged to talk to the customers that talk to them, that call them up about their pets. So it isn't just about the transaction. It isn't just about the problem or whatever the, the reason for the call might be, but it's really about having a conversation about pets because the people who are calling in obviously have pets and care about them. The people who work there do as well. And it's interesting because that really permeates all of the kinds of communications and interactions that you get from them. And I think it's something they do actually really well. But part of that is because it's a, a defining part of the company's culture and ethos and purpose, right? They're not just trying to flog you pet stuff. They, they really care about animals and they care about pets and, and that's why they do what they do. And that's something that you can tell from whoever in the, in the company you interact with, even up to and including marketing emails or chatbot conversations. I mean, you're not necessarily going to have a, a, an automated chatbot conversation about your pet, but you know, there's, this is framing the way that they use all of these technologies in addition to the way individual employees communicate with customers. Well, I, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that uh, the Freshworks bot is a dog named Freddy. So yes, just ju- ju- right. ju- just just pointing that out. And what you what you what you're building into your culture that way is whatever we, whatever problem you have right now is fine. We just want, but we we're more interested in you. Yeah. Yeah. As a customer, and you know, your your entire well being, we'll solve whatever it is that right now. We'll solve that. That's no big deal. But yeah. Tell tell me about you, right? You know, I was going to say Audible is another good example, right? I don't know if anybody has ever called them up, but um, the that is to at least some degree an outsourced contact center. But all of the people that get hired into that contact center um, are hired based on a real interest in reading. You know, and they have their uh-huh. own tastes and, and interests. And that is what comes through if you interact with any of those agents. You know, you can have a conversation about books. You know, what should I read next? Like what, you know, what might I not have considered right. that I ought to look at? And that is absolutely a part of the the culture that they're trying to build. Right. No, I, I have that. My, for me, that's Roadrunner Sports. Uh, every one of the, every, anyone who answers the phone is, I'm not going to say they're athletes, but they're they 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 do a lot of athletics and they're very familiar. So you're, if you're talking about, you know, what, you know, athlete, you know, whatever, you know, gear or shoes or whatever it is, they're they're doing it and they're yeah. and they're asking questions about that would not that are not technical questions about the shoe, but are how, you know what are you doing? Are you out? Are you outside a lot? Is it you know? And it gives you gives them a sense so that they can. Add more context, like you said. As a yeah. as an analyst, you want to add context. They can add more. REI is another great example, right? I mean, one that that I've and they've been consistently this way as long as I've done business with them, which has been a very very long time. But, you know, you go in and you can you can have a conversation with whoever's in the shop about you know great trails to go hiking or you know what the great what the best mountain biking spots are, whatever it might be. You know, kayaking around the coast. In my case, it's it's really interesting because. These are people who have a passion for the outdoors and therefore understand the equipment. And, you know, they, they are perfectly happy to help you if you are a totally casual car camper or if you're a hardcore backpacker doing the, you know, the Trans-Catalina Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail or whatever it might be, right? And, it, and I think it's really interesting. This is that that really integrated sense of purpose, right? It's It's not that 
the employees are completely disconnected from what the company is doing. So encouraging them to be more engaged, at least more uh, aware, contextually aware of of the the pro- not the problem space, but the product space. The, yeah. The just the, the beyond just the one problem that you're trying to solve with the particular product. Uh, can I hire for this? And yes. if so, how? <laughs> I, I, I think to a large degree you can, right? I mean, you're hiring for some clearly demonstrated interests, right? For one thing, right. that stuff is right. pretty easy to discern, right? right. And you know, let's say I'm. Trying I, to- I guess I'll, let's take a step back, not just from the interest, but for this this whole connect the dot mentality, right? Because sometimes, look, I, I'm not a pet person. Yep. Does that mean I can't work for Chewy? No, not necessarily, right? Right. But so, but there's a skill that I have in terms of being able to connect the dots, relate, and whatever. Or that's a, it's a skill, it's a talent, it's an innate ability. Uh, you know, how do I recognize that when I'm when I'm? And this is really, I don't even know if I know the answer. Um, when I, what kind of questions am I asking somebody? You know, my, my uncle was in the HR business for a long time, and he always joked that um, um, nobody knew how to do an interview. They didn't know what questions to ask, and even if they knew what questions to ask, they didn't know what the had to, to under you know relate the answers. But that aside, what, what do you, what can we do in terms of when, as we're looking for uh, employees to have that connect the dot quality? You know, I I think to some degree you can probably discern it by some of the things on a person's resume. Um, so, for example, some of the best dot connectors I know are people who studied physics, right? Because this is fundamentally part of how you break down problems in physics and do anything meaningful. Um, um, but that aside, I actually think you're far more likely, and I don't know the answer either. So I'm Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's explore it first. Yeah, let's explore. I, I think you're far more likely to figure that out in a conversation with someone. So it kind of goes against the grain. We hear so much these days about AI particularly being used and through piles of resumes. I, you know, right. I, I sort of grate against that because I think that it misses some of the really, really important stuff that probably isn't incorporated into a standard resume, depending on the type of role that you're trying to hire for, right? I think in a lot of cases, we, we overlook that kind of thing. Um, because what tends to be on a resume is, you know, past experience and and qualifications that are related to whatever the role is. And that's not necessarily the same thing as what your thought process is or how you approach a problem or how you try to communicate with customers. Right. And the rubric for measuring them is based on who I have already. And I already have those. Maybe I need somebody a little different or maybe I need a good mix, right? I mean, the hope that's your whole point is that I don't want to just have one knowledge base or one... Uh, level of expertise, the the more I have in the mix. I think that's a trend going forward in general, but the more I have in the mix, the more likely I am to be able to uh, innovate. Basically. Well, the, the other thing that's so interesting to me is that I think there are typically fairly well, well-defined and clearly prescribed career paths for specialists, not so much for generalists. Right. I think that that has to change. I think so too, because I think you get something really remarkable in the mix when you have generalists and generalists, particularly who have the ability to learn new things, which, you know, honestly, I think 
I think most people have the ability to learn new things. <laughs> they either choose to exercise that ability or not, or they're in a position where they're required to or not. But there are some people that are certainly, I, I think, very much more inclined to whether you want to call it dabbling or not, you know, to take on something new and, and figure something else out. And that, again, is another key part of dot connecting, because if you did this over here, you might be able to, f- to figure out how to do that over there, right? Right. You know? Well, it's the, intel- it's the intellectual curiosity that you talked about. Yeah, well, um, you know, I'll it- tell you what, flying a plane has changed the way that I drive a car, because I'm far more focused on that situational awareness that you're taught when you take driving lessons as a teenager, but you kind of tend to forget as an adult when you're busy doing all the other things that you're typically right. doing or thinking about while you're driving. And it's very interesting to me because I notice this in myself, right? So, so you, you, your situational awareness was refreshed by, by learning how to fly. I think so. Yeah. Um, for uh, people who are generalists, um, there's that element of intellectual curiosity. There's the elements of, of maybe critical thinking. Uh, when I used to interview people for my I, I, my managed service company, and it, it was it was it was a help desk, break fix, as we used to call it. Um, I would one of the interview questions I'd have is, I have two projects for you. One project, it'll take you about six months. <clears throat> it's really interesting. You're going to learn a lot of new stuff. It's really, really, really going to be a great project. And then the other one is it's going to be something different every day. The people who, who wanted the something different every day were the most successful help desk people that I had. The people who wanted to d- dig into a project, they, they didn't have the, you know, it, it's, it, it, to me, it was a different mindset. I don't know how scientific that is. I don't know. But that was just one way of trying to discern their thought process or what would make them happy. And I think maybe there's something you can do that as well from an intellectual curiosity point of view. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, part of it is just having a conversation. I think you can tell, do people pick up on cues? Do they, do they ask questions in return? I mean, these these are the kinds of things that I think are pretty good indicators of that way of thinking and that ability. But I, th- I think you're right. And by the way, if you think it wasn't scientific, I mean, you know, if you have data to back it up, it's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't yeah, bring data. What's what's bring the data. what's the uh, there's a, there's a, there's a there's a line about bring you know don't don't you know bring data. Um, all right, Nicole, this was uh, this was amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, What's the best way for people to learn more, to keep in touch, to see about all things uh, Nicole France? Well, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, the The most obvious place is probably the Constellation Research website, which is constellationr.com. Uh, my profile is on there, my contact information. You can find me on Twitter at Ellen France, uh, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. So I'm there. If you want to find me, you want to have a chat about Life, the universe, everything, dilettantism, generalism, I'm all ears. I, I, and anybody who's out there listening, I highly recommend you do that. Uh, this was, this, I always enjoy our conversations. Thank you, Nicole. Um, and thank you all for listening. Um, we'll catch you all on the next C4L podcast. Looking forward to continuing the conversation. Alan, thanks so much for having me. It was a treat.